Hello, I'm Jesse Walls from Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church. We're a church seeking to make disciple-making disciples of Jesus. Thank you to Life FM for continuing to host us. Today, as we look to God's Word, our reading is Psalm 40, so you can begin looking that up now. This sermon was recorded live at Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church, and the preacher is Daniel Jansen. And while you're getting Psalm 40 ready, I'll pray, asking God to bless us as we read and consider his word, read the passage, and then we'll go to the sermon. And so let's pray. Our God, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. May our eyes, ears, and hearts be opened that we would receive the light you give. May we delight in this word which is life. May this word grow and bear fruit in us, that we would be made more like Jesus. Convict us of sin, that we would turn to you quickly. May your word do its work in us. In Jesus' name. Amen. And now let's read Psalm 40. And its title is, To the Choir Master, a Psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, my Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonour who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha! Aha! But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help 
and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. Stories of rescue, they always seem to grab people. It doesn't matter if we have known the person or just heard it in passing, rescue stories are always gripping. Maybe it's the fact we can always rejoice because of them. Maybe it's human resilience. I'm not actually sure, but take this story. It's the story of Poon Lim. Uh, during World War II, the SS Ben Lomond was torpedoed by a German U-boat in the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, Poon Lim was the only survivor managing to get on a raft. Well, while on the raft, he managed to survive for 133 days. He survived by collecting rainwater, catching fish, and even caught birds to eat before being found by some fishermen off the coast of Brazil. After his, after being saved, he then travelled the world, telling his story about how he survived at sea, and he even gave survival classes. Poon Lim's amazing story of survival helps us rejoice in the human resilience, doesn't it, that he can do this even some 80 years later. Well, as we read Psalm 40, we are also listening to David's story of being rescued. But unlike Poon Lim's story, which rejoices in his amazing ability to survive at sea, the focus in Psalm 40 is not on David, but it is on the one who saves David. As David proclaims his salvation, he points to God as the one who is faithful to the king. And the result is that we too have hope that the God who rescues the king of his people will also rescue us. So as we reflect on the importance of God's salvation to us, we have four points that we're going to consider. The first is God saves. The second is desiring to do God's will. Then a desire to share God's salvation. And lastly, confidence in the future. So as King David recounts his salvation to his people, we see that David patiently waits for God to save. We can see that in this passage, all David does is wait. It's like David, he's in jail, but he knows that he'll be released soon. So he waits knowing and trusting that he will be free. So it is here, all David does is wait on God and trust that he will save, knowing that only God can save. So how God saves David is he lifts him up from the pit of destruction. He takes him out of the miry clay and sets his feet upon the rock. Whatever David's need for salvation was, David saw that that it was leading him to destruction. Most probably because of something moral he did, some moral failing or sin. And as a, as a result, he felt that he could not move, really symbolic language. He was in the sticky, immovable clay. That even if he wanted to obey God, even if he wanted to be free from guilt or sin, David could not. He could not move. This was and is us. Often our sin and troubles, they root us to the spot. We can't move even, even if we tried. We can't save ourselves. In one of Indiana Jones's many adventures, The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, Indy finds himself in quicksand. He sinks quickly as he struggles to get up. 
One of the characters throws him a harmless snake to help him get out. But if you know the trope in any Indiana Jones movie, you know that Indiana hates snakes. So they all pretend it's a rope and they pull Indiana Jones out of the quicksand so they can continue on the adventure. Like Indiana Jones, we can't save ourselves. Our sins and its many consequences in the world can't save us. We need someone to throw us a rope and pull us out. This is exactly what God has done for us. In the pits of despair and in the miry clay of sin, God saved us. Not in giving us a rope, but actually in Jesus. The amazing thing about in Jesus saving us is that Jesus saves us by being in the pit of destruction with us. He was in the the mucky, dirty, sticky clay with us. And when he was with us, he takes on the penalty of our sin, and that penalty was death. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, Paul writes of Jesus' death on the cross. He says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In Jesus becoming man and dying on the cross, he endures so that we might become right with God in relationship. And though Jesus died on the cross for us, he was raised up from the dead. He was raised up from the pit of destruction and the miry clay, so that in him we might also be raised up. Because of what Christ has done, paying for our sins, we might also be lifted up by trusting in him for salvation. Again, as we read on, David makes it abundantly clear that his trust is solely in God. From verse 4, David says, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. The opposite of trusting in God for our salvation in times of trial is to turn to the proud and to go after lies. Today, pride is often viewed as a good thing. Uh, We are proud of our achievements, proud of what others have done. And in some ways, for example, having pride in your work can be a good thing and can actually bring glory to God. However, on the flip side, pride can also puff you up. You view your achievements, what you do, or even who you are above everyone else. Likewise, a proud person does not look to others, let alone God, for help. Only in in himself does he trust, does he think that he can do it. But it's all a facade. The proud man has puffed himself up if like those blow-up sumo wrestler suits or those shirts that have muscles that people wear. The person is not any stronger or has any real ability to save or help. We also know that the proud go after a lie. In the NIV, it offers the translation of false gods, which are in themselves lies. Now, we may not have idols in our house, but we do make for ourselves things or people which take centre place in our hearts. You see, the seat of idols and false gods is not a shrine outside, but it is inside of ourselves. And we offer up so many options for what to put our trust in and hope will save us and bring us security in this life. Will it be a high-paying job, being a stay-at-home parent, 
a good house and a good neighbourhood? Will it be many kids or no kids? Will it be having a spouse or sleeping with many people? Or will it be habitually going to church because that's what you've always done? We have so much that we can put our trust in, but like the proud, they will disappoint us. It's the infomercials that promise a revolutionising house product, like a mop or a chair. Buy this amazing thing and it will change your life. Look at it, it's so good, but ultimately it's not as great as it looks on TV. They won't make mopping easier. There will be something that won't work quite right. Your back will still be sore and the chair won't have solved it. The proud think they can do it all themselves and turn to the idols of the heart to achieve it. But it is pointless. But we can put our trust in God. He has shown us through Jesus that if we put our trust in him, we will be lifted up from the pit of death. We have proof and it is found in the one who takes away our sins, Jesus. So we need to look to him. After David makes his public declaration of God's salvation, he does some reflection on a desire to do God's will. In verse 6, David says, In sacrifices and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. God does not delight in the outward demonstrations of sacrifices, but what they show of the inward response to God. God delights in those who obey and love him. We may not have sacrifices, but we do have outward expressions of our faith. We meet on Sunday for church, we pray, we partake in the Lord's Supper and we celebrate baptism. We even help our community, but those outward expressions of faith do not bring God delight, but what they represent, obedience and faith in God. David then goes on and gives a divine revelation. He's given open ears to hear. This divine revelation typifies the Davidic kingship. This is what David's reign will look like and how he will lead. In verse 7, he says, Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. David is reflecting on his duties as king. In Deuteronomy 17, the king is commanded to write out the law and read it so that he may remember God's laws. David will then fulfill Deuteronomy so that the law just won't just be external, but it will be internal. He won't have to think about it, he will just do it. This is what David aspires to do. But if you read the rest of his Psalms or you read 1 and 2 Samuel, it is clear that David does not always do God's will. However, Psalm 40 isn't just speaking about David but about another king also. If you have your Bibles open, it would be good to turn to Hebrews chapter 10, 8 to 14. The author, after quoting Psalm chapter 40, verses 6 to 8, he says, When he said above, that's Jesus, you have neither desired 
nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he is perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. In Christ we have the perfect, obedient king. Whereas David desired to be obedient, but ultimately failed, Jesus was fully obedient. And this obedience is seen in his laying aside of the ritual sacrifices. No longer is the outward displays of righteousness required for the taking away of sins. Jesus has laid aside ritual sacrifices with a once-for-all sacrifice himself. No longer do those who are being sanctified, being made more like Jesus, need to offer endless sacrifices, but they are made right with God through the perfect obedience of his Son, Jesus. So Jesus is the perfect king who does the will of God. But this is important for us because now that we follow our king, we should also be desiring to do God's will. Actually, if you read further on in the Hebrews passage, you will see that the author quotes Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 33. That because of Jesus, we are also able to do God's will. Just as our heavenly Father delights in God's will, so should we. Our salvation means that we can delight in the Lord who saves and places our feet on a rock so that we can make secure steps to glorify and love our God. After David's private commitment to desire God, he makes a public vow to God's people. Namely, David will tell the glad news of his deliverance. He now has a desire to share God's salvation. I think this makes sense. If you or you know someone who's had a near-death experience and you were saved, then of course you would tell other people. I mean, the news is full of stories of these heroic acts, and we really would love to hear them. Well, King David also shares his story of salvation. He says, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips. As you know, O Lord, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. David has been incredibly vocal about his salvation to everyone. The great congregation now knows of God's steadfast love and faithfulness. They can rejoice in God's deliverance and his salvation along with David. As king, David has made vocal what God has done for him, so they may rejoice with him in God. Jesus has also done the same. Jesus has not restrained himself, hidden himself or concealed himself to those who follow him. 
after Jesus' death and resurrection, we read in Luke chapter 24, 44 to 48, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Jesus has made known to his disciples what had taken place. Jesus wants salvation to be known, to be known to everyone. He wants to reclaim the great work that has been done for us through him. So the question remains, do you hear the declaration of Jesus? That in him we have the forgiveness of sins, that in him we can now go to the Father as his sons and daughters. We need to hear of what has been done through Jesus continually. Hear the gospel and praise God for, for it because it is the greatest action ever done because through it you have been saved, you have been redeemed and you have been adopted. Why wouldn't you hear this again and again? I think another question also arises from this. Do you tell people of your salvation in Christ? I want you to maybe take a moment and look at those around you. I mean, you're sitting together, you pray and praise God together, but do you know of each other's salvation? Have you shared what caused you to turn to Jesus as Lord? Don't be silent at the personal effects of salvation with one another. Like David, let's rejoice together in the Lord's salvation. At the end of last year, after a big conference for AFES, uh, which was in Canberra, Bendigo CU, who I worked for, um, went to Bort on mission. Um, I'd never been to Bort. I'd actually never heard of Bort. Um, but when we were on mission, we did various events, like we did a kids' club, a youth group, a community breakfast, and evangelism training. It was a packed four days. Well, prior to board, I don't think we knew each other's stories of faith very well. But when we were on mission, a real focus and blessing was that at each event, every day, we heard students and staff tell of the hope they find in Jesus. I rejoiced in Jesus more and more for my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ as I saw the miraculous way in which God saves each and every one of us. And so did the Christian community in Bort, who were blessed to hear of how God has saved. I think of my own life, how I praise God that he saved me from thinking it was my outward actions that mattered that saved me when it was actually my trust and dependence on Christ. I thought that people would like me or think me a good person if I did the right things and was involved in church. But then I was confronted with this error of trusting in myself for salvation. When the thing I trusted in most for morality and feeling like I was a good person, my church, when my trust in it crumbled, it was in this time of questioning that I found Jesus. Jesus was the only person I could trust in for salvation because he had taken away my burden of sin 
and nailed it to the cross. I had been justified, I had been made right in Christ. This joy is what I should proclaim and rejoice in to others and myself. So don't be silent about how God has saved, because what he has done in you is so miraculous that it deserves to be shared. In verses uh, 11 to 17, the salvation of the king also prepares the people for the future. Whether this is a new time of distress or David reflecting on the trouble that he has just escaped from, it's really unsure. But what is sure is that David is confident in God's salvation. In verse 11 he writes, As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. David is confident in God's everlasting preservation of salvation. Even now, David remarks that evils have encompassed him beyond number and his iniquities have overtaken him. His sins and wrongs against God are so great he can't see anymore and they're greater than even the numbers, number of hairs on his head. The result of this is that his heart fails him, that he feels the guilt. Here is David, the one who pledges both privately and publicly that he will delight to do God's will. But now, now he is asking for God to again deliver him because even now he struggles with his sins. David shows us the weakness of humans and the faithfulness of God. He is confident in God even when he himself cannot fulfill his promises. Though we endure times of trouble trouble, and we still struggle with sins and temptations, God is faithful to those who love him. David is confident of this because he knows God's love. But not only does David know this, but he has experienced God's unfettered mercy and grace. It's not an abstract idea, but something very real to him. Before I was married, I certainly understood the concept of marriage. I knew what it meant through observing my parents. But only once I was married did I experience a love that was dependable and trustworthy. I know that Claire is there for me, not just because she is my wife, but because I have experienced in times of trouble how she will be there. The same is for our trust in God. We know that God will be there because we have experienced his steadfast love and mercy through Jesus. But there is also an element, not just in looking back, but also in looking forward, that gives David hope in God's salvation. If we look at verses 14 to 15, David desires salvation so that God will defeat David's enemies. God is not just keeping this show rolling with so much pain and suffering. Jesus will return and silence those who go against his people. Jesus has promised that he will make all things new. This is comforting. Everyone struggles in life. Maybe even now you are struggling. It might be sickness, it might be death of a loved one, loss of a job. Life is full of struggles. We will always have them. It will never stop. But though we struggle now in the future, we know that Christ, who has gone through similar times of troubles, even suffering a horrific death for us, he will come back to make all things new. He will be with us. 
All of this culminates in the statement of verse 16, this response of God's people. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. Those who seek God and his will, though in this life, like David, struggle, will rejoice and be glad in God. They rejoice and are glad in God because of his salvation. And we love his salvation because God has saved his king. Jesus, our king, has gone down to the pit of destruction. He has struggled in the miry clay and been lifted up in glory so that we also may be lifted up with him. We can be confident in God's salvation because he has shown it in Jesus and he promises to return to make all things right. In Christ we have an assured salvation and one we can rejoice in. Perhaps now in concluding we can look at verse 17. Uh, It says, As for me I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. What does it mean for us that God is our salvation? It means that we are poor and needy and cannot save ourselves. God in his love gave Jesus so that he may take on our penalty for sin and defeat death so in him we may be considered right with God. That because of Jesus, because he delighted to do God's will, we delight to follow him by the Spirit. That because God is our salvation, we want to share and be reminded of God's salvation through our King Jesus. Finally, God has shown himself to not restrain his mercy or his, or his steadfast love towards us. And we can trust that he will ultimately deliver us. Right now, we await the day when God will wipe away every tear and live with his people. As David says, you are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. Come, Lord Jesus, come. That was Daniel Jansen preaching, and I'm Jesse Walls from Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church, and I pray you've been blessed as you've spent this time in God's Word. Next week, we'd love to have you join us in person for our service at 10am. I hope to see you there. And as always, if you'd like to make a comment on what you've heard today, you have a question, or you're looking for a church, then please get in contact with us. Our website is eaglehawkpc.org.au. You can also contact us through Facebook or Instagram. God bless you.